0: Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. It is Saturday, which means it's Story Saturday. And we are coming up on a momentous event for today's Story Saturday. Because as you know, the last many months now, we've been going through the stories contained in Stories from the Great Challenge. Which, as you also know, was an awesome collection of 52 stories that I wrote over the span of a year, a couple years ago, as a writing challenge. And I crushed it and put it together in this really thick collection this week we're reading number number 52 the final story from that collection cue the applause and all the other stuff hey we're getting through the end of it funny and some of you are like god finally Kingswood, you're done with this stupid collection can we move on to something else now yeah we will and i'll tell you what on the back side but for now we're reading stasis treatment the final story in the great challenge so of course i wrote it i'm reading it You will like it. Enjoy. Some folks call dead bodies stiffs, and boy, they ain't kidding. Couldn't tell you what happened before then or how I got there, but when I opened my eyes on the cold, stainless steel of the medical examiner's exam table and looked up at the bright fluorescent light shining down at me, at first I couldn't move a muscle. I could feel everything, just like normal. The subtle coarseness to the blue cloth that was draped over the rest of my body, the slight movement of the ventilation-pushed air, smell the subtle aroma of decay beneath the more powerful sense of disinfectants. Here, the talk of the coroner and his assistant from somewhere off to my left, soft words that didn't quite register except that they both came from male, baritone voices. But I could not make myself move not even to blink. I knew immediately I was dead. I wasn't breathing. My heart wasn't beating, and none of those small internal movements that we only register at the base of our consciousness were happening. But if I was dead, why could I still see and feel and the rest? And why wasn't I chatting with Peter up at the pearly gates and see if I got first class for eternity or got sent down into steerage? Not that I expected first class, Lord knew I was no saint, but to wake up here, of all places? It's not like my name is Jesus. It's Bob. So how the hell was I back from the dead anyway? It made no sense. If I could have moved a muscle, I would have thrown up my hands and screamed, What the hell? As it was, all I could do was lie there, staring up that really, really bright light, and wish to God I could even blink because damn was that becoming painful to look at. The voices grew louder, more distinct. I ought to see results in the next few hours if a face came into view overhead, the orb of a man's head blotting out nearly two-thirds of the light above me, So all I could see of his face was shadow, but he was wearing a white lab coat with a white shirt and an orange-brown tie underneath. His words cut off as he looked down at me abruptly. Hot damn! Ken, check it out! I think it worked! Footsteps, then another face came into view above me on the opposite side of the table from the first. The new head took out about half of the remaining light, so now I could see a little bit of their features. The first one was older than me, in his mid-fifties it looked like. His hair was mostly gray, with a few streaks of gold remaining, and was long, pulled back from his face by a ponytail behind his neck. The other, Ken, was maybe thirty, darker of skin and eye, with short-cut black hair. He wore brown, round-rimmed glasses, and also had on a lab coat, but his was unbuttoned, revealing a Slayer t-shirt and jeans underneath. Ken blinked, surprise showing on his face, and I envied him that ability. He bent over, looking at me carefully. His eyes are open, yeah, but are you sure? It could just be a reflex response, or... He trailed off as he brought his face within a few inches of mine. His eyes squinted. Then he jerked upward and back, stepping back from the table a bit so I could just barely see him off to my right. Holy shit, his pupils just dilated a bit. Ken sounded a mix of surprised, excited, and scared all at once. I knew it. The first man smiled and leaned more directly overhead, so his face was all I could see haloed by light from the overhead. Mr. Shepard, I'm Dr. Joseph Millar. You're in my laboratory, can you hear me? I could, but damn if I could make myself say so. Couldn't even move my little finger, let alone nod my head. And I wasn't breathing, so talking was right out, even if I thought I could move the muscles needed to do it. So I just laid there, listening. Millar looked me up and down, then sniffed. I imagine you can, and if my calculations are correct, you should regain muscle control over the next couple of hours. He grinned broadly. You, my friend, are history in the making. He slapped me on the shoulder lightly, but the impact of it registered like a punch in the jaw. We'll talk soon. Millar looked up from me to Ken, then nodded toward something in the direction of my feet. The two men walked away, leaving my field of view quickly. There was the sound of a door opening, then their footsteps going through it and it closing behind them, and I was all alone, with just the light and the chill and the smell of antiseptic. And a whole lot of questions. Millar was right. Within a few hours I found I could first move my toes, then my foot, then my entire leg. Some time later I was sitting upright on that cold slab of stainless steel, the blue cloth pulled up around my waist, to cover my nakedness as I finally took a look around and got my bearings. I was wrong. This wasn't the medical examiner's offices. It had much the same equipment as I expected the coroner would have, but the room was too small. Just room for one examination table, and then off to the left, a laboratory bench, and a small metal desk with a computer terminal on top. The door to the room was painted gray-blue and appeared solid, and had a brushed nickel doorknob. There was nothing else, just cream-painted walls and a bright light overhead. I wasn't sure how long I sat there, not breathing, but still awake and feeling. But some time later the doorknob turned, and a moment later Millar and Ken walked into the room. Millar didn't look at all surprised to see me sitting upright like a normal non-dead person, but Ken's brows lifted slightly for a moment as they both stopped just inside the door. "'You're up,' Millar said, and he grinned. "'Excellent. How do you feel, Mr. Shepard?' I surprised myself. I hadn't been sure I'd be able to speak at all. I wasn't breathing, after all. The idea of the disability had frightened me, so I hadn't even tried talking to myself.' But I found I was able to make my diaphragm work and bring air into my lungs. My voice sounded gravelly to my own ears, but it worked. What the hell is going on? The two men exchanged looks. What do you remember, Mr. Shepard? Ken asked. I shook my head. I really couldn't remember much at all before I woke up on this exam table. Just flashes here and there. I knew who I was, but other than that... Not unexpected, Millar said. The treatment is... He made a wave of his hand. Experimental. Side effects are unavoidable, I'm afraid. I looked at him levelly, didn't say another word. He cleared his throat. An explanation is overdue, I suppose. Millar clasped his hands together in front of his belt. Ken and I had a research project on life extension techniques. An immortality serum, if you will. I blinked. Couldn't say I was completely surprised, but still. I'd heard of billionaires and such investing in silly things like that. And Walt Disney's frozen head, or whatever. Well, maybe not so silly after all. I gestured toward my chest and its lack of motion. You call this immortal? You're awake and aware, aren't you? It's hard to argue with that. How? That's a long and complicated, very technical explanation. Suffice it to say, we were never able to get around the problem of cell decay from DNA replication errors. Stretch a creature's lifespan and eventually things will always just... break. But what if we could find a way to suspend cell functions? A sort of a perpetual stasis. The initial results on animal tests were very promising, except for the side effects. He, too, gestured at my chest. I nodded slowly. What he was saying made a certain amount of sense, but I wasn't sure I entirely bought it. There had to be more to it than he was letting on. Not that it mattered. What mattered right then was how I ended up here, in this state. He must have seen it on my face as he nodded apologetically and continued, We found you in a cancer support group. You had stage four pancreatic cancer, an extremely fast and painful way to die. When we approached you, you were eager to be a trial subject. He managed to look positively self-satisfied right then as he gestured toward me again. And now, here we are. I winced. Something about what Millar said resonated within me, and I had a flash of a memory. Pain, dreadful pain and fear, but more than that, desperation and a desire to have it end. But I must have had a family, friends, what about them? Did they know what I had volunteered for or where I was now? How had all this come to be, for that matter? Where is this place? Outside San Jose, California. I nodded. Funded by Silicon Valley tech billionaires, huh? I shook my head and forced a snort. That figures. So now what? Well, now we keep you under observation. See how your body responds to the treatment... Whether there are any other side effects, the usual. You don't intend to keep me cooped up in here, do you? I waved my hand around at the exam room or whatever it was. It was not exactly what I would call comfortable. The two of them exchanged glances. Well, to hell with that. I shook my head vigorously. No way. A real bed and some real clothes or I'm out. Ken pursed his lips. I doubt you'll need to sleep, Mr. Shepard. But I understand what you mean. He raised his hand as Millar drew in a breath to object, I assume. He's right, Joe. Can't hurt to put him up in one of the rooms. Millar frowned, then nodded. Very well. But I must stress the necessity that you remain in this facility, Mr. Shepard. We don't know what all the side effects may be, and we'll need to have you close to record them and help you deal with them. Plus, he paused, then cleared his throat. There's no other way to say it, but I don't think your being out in public would be a very good idea at all. People might react poorly to a walking, talking man who is apparently dead. That made sense, after I considered it for a minute. Yeah, a zombie roaming through Silicon Valley might get awkward. Millar winced. I wouldn't use that word, but... Yes. I nodded, pushing myself off the exam table. The sheet fell away, and I felt a bit more of the room's chill. A thought occurred to me, and I looked down. No heartbeat. Guess that's not going to work anymore, is it? I gestured downward. The two men blanched, then Ken shook his head. We don't know but it's doubtful. He sniffed and looked away. One of the many things we need to study and record for future changes in the treatment. Well, that sucked. I guess. But it beat being dead. Even though I kind of was dead. In stasis. Whatever. Well, I said, grinning at them and feeling at least a little bit like I had my bearings for the first time since I woke up. How about those clothes? They gave me medical scrubs for the time being, then brought me upstairs. The room they put me in was one hell of a lot nicer than the exam room. It was four levels above the exam room, which turned out was in the basement of their building. An elevator ran all the way up, and my room was in the corner of the square-shaped structure with windows that faced north and west, giving me a view of a commercial block filled with parking lots and other business buildings fronted in glass or brick ranging from five to seven or eight stories tall. I saw business signs and logos that made me think most of the businesses in those buildings were tech firms of some sort or other. No big surprise there. The surprise was that this room was set up more as a living suite than an office space. A queen-sized bed with silky-smooth white cotton sheets beneath a thick red duvet. Black leather couch and love seat positioned around a glass-topped coffee table facing a flat screen on the wall opposite the bed. A small kitchen with dark-gray granite countertops and white shaker cabinets a middle framed glass-topped dining table with seating for six, a black corner-style office desk off in the corner opposite the windows, complete with a computer terminal, and an all-in-one HP OfficeJet printer. Speakers in the ceiling adjacent to recessed lighting played a light, cheerful melody that I couldn't quite place, and the temperature was a lot more pleasant than it had been in the basement. Overall, it didn't suck at all. Not too shabby, I said as I glanced back at Ken and Millar from where I stopped by the windows after completing my survey. You guys stay here a lot? Ken chuckled softly. No, these rooms are for our clients, or they will be, anyway. For now, our investors use them when they come to visit. Got it. How are you feeling now that you've moved around a bit, Mr. Shepard? Any fatigue or? Millar made a vague gesture. I was pretty sure he had had as little idea what he was asking for as I did and how to answer. The simple fact was that I felt fine. Not a complaint at all except for the still vague unease I felt over the lack of internal movement and sound from within my body. But I felt fit and energetic, not tired at all, and moving around had gotten the last of the kinks out. What little of the initial stiffness that had remained when we left the exam room was gone completely. I felt better than I had in twenty years, though how I knew that I couldn't say. Something washing up from the disjointed memories in my head. I shrugged and turned to fully face them again. Call me Bob. I feel great, excellent, in fact. Can you do me a favor? Certainly. You got a file on me? Vital statistics, name, rank, serial number, things like that? I'd like to call my mom or my wife if I can. No wife, Ken said, and your mother passed away five years ago. But yes, we'll have records send up everything we have on you. The first thing we'll want to do is work to recover your memories. He made another of those semi-apologetic shrugs. The last thing we'll want is future clients not knowing who they are. But it was fine for me, too. Intellectually, I knew that wasn't what he meant. But still, it rubbed me the wrong way. I shoved my annoyance down, though. After all, I was here to help them with their research. Wouldn't do any of us any good to get into a tizzy about things. So I just nodded and said, thanks. I'd like you to keep a log of your daily routine, Millar said. If you sleep, for how long? Sensations. When memories begin to come back. If you feel hunger or thirst or fatigue. Anything and everything of your biological and psychological functions. We'll be monitoring you, but getting the inside story, if you will, is essential if we are to get this right. Made sense, so I nodded again. Excellent. I didn't say it earlier, Bob, but thank you very much for your assistance. With your help, we're going to change history, even life itself, for every human being on the planet. Well, the rich ones, anyway, but I appreciated the thought. It's weird researching yourself and feeling like you're learning about a completely different person. Ken and Millar gave me the biographic information they had on me, and the internet connection on my suite's computer was apparently unimpeded. So before long, I had an idea of who I was, if not a feeling or a true memory. I had a degree in finance from the University of Minnesota. I'd grown up in St. Paul and never moved away until now, apparently. Ken wasn't entirely correct. I had an ex-wife and an 11-year-old daughter named Kelly, but they had relocated to South Carolina four years back. No idea why I didn't follow them. I worked in an investment bank as an analyst, owned a condo in downtown St. Paul, My credit score was 753 and I had a good chunk of change squirreled away in a 401k and a Roth IRA. I played the trombone and was a hockey and football fan. Or hockey. And I was apparently dead. Actually dead. I found the death certificate on file. Looked like my estate was still in probate. I imagine I left it all to the kid. Finding out that bit of reality came as a blow and it pissed me off. Millar's explanation should have helped, but it didn't. You have to understand how sensitive this project is, Bob, he said, looking up at me from behind his darkly stained wooden monstrosity of a desk two floors below my suite. We can't just take someone and subject them to potentially lethal effects if they're otherwise healthy. Ethical issues aside, the liability alone would crush us. He shook his head. No, we picked you because you were on your way out only weeks to live at most, so when the time came, he trailed off and I finished for him. You faked my death and brought me here. Millar shook his head. No faking about it, Bob. You died in the University of Minnesota Hospital. We injected you with the treatment and you flatlined. As far as your family and friends know, that's where you stayed. We flew you here as soon as arrangements for your cremation had been carried out. Well, I'm back now, so he shook his head rigorously. There can be no contact with anyone outside this facility, Bob. You know the reasons why. I did, and he was right. It still pissed me off. But that was how I learned my internet functionality wasn't 100% after all. Something in the computer setup or the network architecture, disabled email and internet phone calls. Oh sure, there was undoubtedly any number of websites or applications I could find and use to get around those blocks, and after I stormed out of Millar's office following that discussion, I determined to do just that. But I quickly calmed down, and I realized he was right. Until we knew exactly how this new state of being for me worked, getting in touch was a bad idea. For all we knew, I might drop dead, again, tomorrow, or in five minutes. Would it be worth subjecting Kelly to the confusion and fright of me being back just to put her through the pain of losing me all over again? Until I knew more, the answer was no. So I kept on keeping on, and learning more about what this new life or whatever was, and how it worked. Ken was wrong, but also right. Kind of. I don't need to sleep. I never get the physical fatigue that I assume I'd grown used to in regular life the inability to keep going past a certain point and the necessity of lying down for a time but i've found that after a certain amount of time my thoughts become sluggish and i have trouble focusing it gets worse and worse until i simply can't do even simple things anymore but it's weird because i never get physically tired during this process so i found that it really can't sneak up on me and i become useless before i even realize it amusingly enough the effects start after about 18 to 20 hours of activity And I become useless after about 48 hours if I don't rest. But it's not sleep. I lie down and shut my eyes, but I don't go unconscious. I'm awake for the entire time, but it's like a switch flips, and I go into this funky awake but dreaming state. I get some seriously weird dreams now. But the cool thing is one REM cycle and I'm good. Up and running, able to kick it for another day. So about 90 minutes instead of 6-8 to hours, I'll take that trade every day. So that was one important question answered. Another was hunger and thirst and other bodily functions. My body isn't functioning, but it is. My bowels and bladder voided when I died, and near as Millar could tell, there is no peristalsis in my gut at all. Gotta get energy from something, though, so it stood to reason that I would need to eat. Or something. And I did get hungry, though hungry isn't the right word. It's not the hole in your stomach feeling from normal life, more like a general feeling of lethargy, like I'm sensing my energy level and know when I'm getting down toward the end of the tank. I start moving slower, enough that I notice, and things become more difficult to do. Cool thing is, this takes longer than getting hungry did when I was living a normal life, a few days as opposed to a few hours. The problem came in figuring out what I could eat and how because if the gut ain't rolling, it's not like I can swallow and digest solid food. So we very quickly figured out it would have to be liquid. That brought a sinking suspicion to my mind, and I found myself confronting a horrible possibility. Tell me I don't have to drink blood, I said to Millar. He looked at me, then shook his head and chuckled. I highly doubt that you're a vampire, Bob. How do you know? He shrugged. I really don't. But blood isn't just liquid, there are cells throughout it. If you can't digest solids, you can't digest them either. Plus, there's not really a lot of nutrition there. He shook his head. No, I'm thinking liquid energy drinks, protein shakes, things like that. That was a bit of a comfort, but I still had the nagging, lingering dread. Until it turned out he was right. Those athletic supplement drinks and mixes seemed to do the trick nicely. And it turns out I can taste still, so that's nice. The downside is the liquid literally runs straight through me. It takes a little while, and apparently I absorb what I need from osmosis or something. But when it comes time to go, it's time to go, and there's no holding it back. On the bright side, the time frame for the flow-through is almost always the same. About four hours from when I drink something down, it's leaving. And because it's not digested, it's not as messily nasty as bowel movements used to be. Still, the other downside? I tried a shot of Jameson. Doesn't work. No buzz from alcohol. Dang it. Neither does Mr. Happy. No blood flow, so no way to make things happen down there. Unless I can make like a ninja master and learn how to control my heart and make it pump the way I can control my other muscles somehow. No idea how to do that, though. Super dang it. Oh well, not too many girls probably want to date a dead guy anyway. Still, the other thing we wondered about was injuries. It's impossible to go through life without getting hurt, and if a body can't heal, that would make immortality, or stasis, or whatever you want to call it, really sucky. Turns out, I can heal, after a fashion, and with a bit of effort. I don't bleed because no heartbeat, but I still need to put pressure on a wound, because I also don't clot and form a scab either. Put pressure on and use that cool skin glue that doctors use now, then wait and drink a bunch of protein shakes. Not sure what happens or how, but the wound knits itself together. Takes a long time, though, probably twice as long as a cut would have back in normal life. Doesn't hurt as much as it used to, though. Not completely pain-free, but it's a duller feeling, more easily tolerated. So that's nice. It took us weeks going into months to figure all this out. And I was starting to get a little stir-crazy. Nice as my suite was, there was only so much being cooped up in the same place I was prepared to take. Especially since my waking, functional days were so much longer than normal people's, I had a lot of time without company. Yeah, yeah, the internet. People on the internet get old fast. Yeah, yeah, movies and books. They don't take the place of people. So I became more and more determined to get out and stretch my legs in the world again. We'd ordered me a fairly nice, if small, wardrobe, so it wasn't like I was going to go running around in scrubs and despite being dead, or in stasis, or whatever, I still looked okay. My hair had stopped growing, which is fine, and I was a little bit paler because of no blood flow, but I wasn't any more hideous to look at than I ever had been. No reason I couldn't go mingle with normal people, except for the secrecy of the research, which was, of course, the rub. Secrecy. Near as I could tell, the project wasn't doing anything, strictly speaking, illegal, as long as the subjects truly were volunteers, anyway. But Ken, and especially Millar, were adamant about secrecy, to the point where every door in or out of the building required a magnetic keycard to open. Except for the emergency fire exits. They couldn't legally lock those from the inside. But those were all alarmed and monitored by cameras. And there were cameras all throughout and surrounding the building grounds. No one was coming in or getting out without the security team knowing about it and allowing it. But after several months in this place, I was getting to the point where I didn't care. I knew how to navigate life in this new state of being now, and I had given Ken and Millar a ton of data to use for the project. I bore them no ill will, but I also didn't feel obliged to be their serving man forever, either. I was quickly nearing the point where I was going to go, whether they liked it or not. What were they going to do, shoot me? First of all, they wouldn't do that. Second of all, yeah, it would hurt getting shot, but that's about all it would do. Near as we could tell from our findings, short of actually burning me to ash, not much was going to kill me besides starvation. It would suck healing from it, but being shot wouldn't stop me from leaving if I really wanted to. It might not even slow me down. But again, they wouldn't do that. Or so I thought. The day I learned the falsehood of that assumption was the day I decided I was out, never to return. It was late, almost midnight, and I was taking my normal evening stroll through the building. It was something I had gotten into the habit of doing when everyone but security was gone and I had nothing to do. A relic of my normal life and the need to keep myself and my muscles in shape. I'd grown to love evening walks back in the day, or I assume I did considering how quickly I picked up the habit again. Regardless, as I was strolling down the second floor hallway, I saw a light on just before where the corridor turned left up ahead. Millar's office. At first I wondered if he'd just forgotten to turn it off, but then I heard voices as I got closer and realized no, he hadn't yet left for the night. It was Wednesday and he had an early morning teleconference on Thursdays. He was going to be a hurting unit in the morning. I thought to stick my head in and tell him to get lost for home, but as I neared the ajar door leading to his office, I recognized the other voice and realized Millar was on the phone, and he had it on speaker while he was typing away on his computer. I had heard the other voice before. It belonged to one of the money men who managed the contributions from the patrons of Millar's work here. Mr. Okuba, Millar had called him once in my hearing, sounded like a Japanese name to me, but his deep bass voice didn't have even a hint of an accent. Okuba was speaking now, and I came to a halt as I heard his words, a shiver going up my spine. If you've learned all you can from him, when will you proceed to the next subject? I don't think we're ready to go there yet, sir. The subject is still learning and we are gaining great data, and we haven't finished collating what we have taken so far. At this point, is there anything he can give that wouldn't be redundant to what you already have? I could practically hear Millar's shrug. Probably not. Again, after you dispose of this subject, when will you be ready to move on to the next? That shiver became a shard of alarm. When Millar answered without hesitation, alarm became fear and then outrage. Probably three to four months... We'll need time to reformulate the treatment to account for the unacceptable. Time is of the essence, Dr. Millar, you know this. Yes, sir, I do, but you can't. Then I suggest you proceed to the next stage, immediately. A long pause, then Millar said, Yes, sir. I could hear in his voice that he did not like the order he had just been given. But also, he was going to carry it out. He was going to order the disposal of their test subject. Me. Throw me out like a piece of garbage. Except worse, because they'd be killing me. They justified in their minds, thinking I was dead already anyhow, and only living on borrowed time due to the work they were doing. And I was legally dead to boot. So would it really be murder? And if it was, did one murder really matter when weighed against the benefit that could accrue to countless other human beings down the line? It struck me then that there likely had been other test subjects before me, maybe many others. The utterly implacable insistence on secrecy took on a whole new meaning right then. I about rushed in and smashed Millar's head in. But no, I was not made of the same stuff he and Ken were. I wasn't going to harm them just because they meant to harm me. I simply walked away from his office to the elevator, then went to my suite and threw as many of my things as I could carry into a bag. Then I left. The alarm wailed as I smashed open the fire exit at the rear of the building. I could picture in my mind's eye the security guy drowsing from the lateness of the hour, jerking upright and flailing around as he struggled to figure out what was going on for a second. It wouldn't take him long to zero in on my departure, so I ran. I sprinted full out across the parking lot toward the line of trees, separating this lot from the next. Unlike when I'd run cross-country in high school, my heart didn't pound and my lungs didn't burn, my legs didn't wobble and my sweat didn't pour out of me like a faucet left to run. I just ran mechanically pumping my legs and arms and I'm pretty sure moving faster than I ever had even back in my prime. It was only after the building had vanished from sight behind the tree line that I turned left, toward the actual woods on the far side of this next lot, that I realized I had just uncovered another memory. I hadn't discovered the cross country things on my Bob Shepherd research assignment. That came from within. I smiled as I passed out of the light in the parking lot, and into the shadows of the woods. I'd uncovered more truth about myself. More would come as I continued in this new life, and I would uncover other truths as well. The truth of who the shadowy men who commissioned this program were. Those men who had casually condemned me and others like me to advance their cause. I would find them, and I would let the world know who and what they were. Contemplating that, my smile became more grim, and I passed into the shadows. Okay, so there we have it. The final story of The Great Challenge is done. Yay! Now, I know what you're thinking now, too. Hey, okay, Kingswood, that story leads into more story later, just like the last couple did. days. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. And I haven't thought about Bob Shepard in a while. But clearly, I need to go back because he's, his situation is really interesting. And I need to revisit him. And there's more to tell. I just haven't done it yet. Um... Again, it's on the list of things to do. So stay tuned for that. There will be more Bob Shepard things in the future. Undecided. There will probably be short stories and probably be longer, at least one or two longer tales to come out of it just because there's so much you can do with that. Um, So that's on the list of things to do. The list just keeps on growing, as it always does in the writing world. But hopefully you enjoyed it. I I, I like uh, Bob and the whole situation that he's in. And I, f- I find, as I was writing it, I was like, man, this is a cool concept. And I just need to do more with it. So hopefully you liked it, too. Uh, now, we've gone through the entire Great Challenge collection. And some of you guys have been wondering, man... Kingswood, I really like your stuff how can i support you well of course the you know you're gonna subscribe to this channel and like depending on what platform you're on whether it's the the, the audio podcast or youtube or rumble or whatever make sure you're subscribed and liking and tell on your buddies but you also got to go buy the books the whole purpose of this channel is to grift grift the books which means go buy them Best place to buy them is michaelkingswood.com slash store. That will get you over to my uh, business entity, SSN Storytelling's web store, which will uh, enable you to get any youth of my books that you want in pretty much any format you want. Um, I'm a little behind in putting up the individual short stories from the last uh, half of The Great Challenge, but for the rest, it's, you it's there findable and the best thing about it is it comes straight to my business no middleman maximum profit to yours truly you can of course go to all the other retailers amazon and noble kobo apple books google play all those other places i'm there uh and you can i put them if you go to mike slash books to read uh that'll take you to a the universal Booklink link aggregator where you can go and click on one of my books and take get, get you to the store of your choice and that yeah that works out well too less profit for me that way but however you want to do it so those are the two things you can do the other thing you can do if you haven't already is back some kickstarters as you know this year we are doing another Story a Week challenge and making it more fun because instead of doing one big, huge, thick collection, we're breaking it up into five smaller collections. The first one is right here, 52 Stories in 2023, Volume One. This was kickstarted back in March ish, and it's been getting out to everybody. Volume Two got kickstarted in June. It is May into June, and we are now doing fulfillment this month, and we get the Volume Two out to everybody here. By the end of the month is the plan. Volume three is getting kickstarted starting August first. You can go and follow that Kickstarter campaign now. slash 52 in 23 v 3 follow Hit that link, follow it. So when it gets launched, you get told immediately that it's launched. I will of course tell everybody. But the more people that back back the project quickly, the better. So that's coming up. That's the other way you can support me and the work and the channel and all those sort of things now what's the plan going forward well that is the question isn't it because we could go and start reading through the, te- the stories and do stories in 2023 um yeah we got this week i'm finishing story number 29 so it mean it's not like we're going to run out of stories but i kind of want to go do something else first the thing i want to do first is so my glimmer veil vale books we have audiobooks out there for glimmer veil vale one and glimmer veil vale two um, I, that I hired voice actors for. But both the voice actors that I hired, the first one flaked out so I went to another guy. The second one I haven't been able to hear from again, so I don't know what the, heck the heck's going on with them. And then I got caught up in other things, and money got tight, and I haven't had a chance to pay other people or freely find a guy that I liked. But here I am doing all this reading myself. And as I'm reading these things, I'm putting up in audiobooks, although you know I'm kind of slacker on that. I'm behind on the short stories. But now that number 52 of the Stories from the Great Challenge is recorded, that's going to be an audiobook form here shortly in the next month or so. So we're going to do that with the third book of Glimmervale. Tollard's Peak, Glimmervale Chronicles number three. We are going to go ahead and read that for the next portions of this uh, channel. There's 30-something chapters in it. And so do two chapters a week. It should be about right to get that done in a couple months. And then we'll have another audiobook, too. And you guys will have fun. So that is the plan. If you guys have a better idea, let me know between now and next Saturday. And I'll consider it. Right. So, go buy the books. Go sign up to follow the next Kickstarter. Subscribe, like, tell all your buddies. That's all your homework. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I will talk to you uh, next time, next Saturday, with Story Saturday. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various retailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future... Sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.